Christmas ministry looking at the Advent themes, how Jesus fulfilled the promise of Advent. And again, it's uh, maybe your upbringing that you guys did Advent a lot uh, in your spiritual background. Uh, when I was a kid, we didn't. We didn't really, I mean, how do we celebrate Christmas? But uh, specifically, Advent, we did not do. And it was um, when I was older that this whole idea of Advent, and it's just such a, a, a beautiful thing as we call it the season in Jesus coming to the earth. Advent means coming, and, uh, and, and, and with that, it's, it's the celebration of His coming when He was born. And as I pray, there was this, um, with, with Advent, those words that are kind of associated with Advent are expectation or this anticipation of His coming. And um, you know, Isaiah prophesied about this, there's all these prophecies about His coming in the Old Testament. A lot of prophets were speaking of His coming. And the Old Testament people that loved God, they, they understood, they, they got the promise, but they, they weren't quite sure. It was kind of that as they looked into a different Hebrews talked about the there, it was all of faith that they they believed the promise, but they didn't see the, the fulfillment of the promise, but they believed it. They believed that, that the Messiah was coming, that God had promised the Messiah, and so they looked from a different, with great anticipation of His coming. And, 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 then, and then we celebrate Christmas, and when He did come, it was the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Um, amazingly, that He fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies when Jesus came. And so then we celebrate the first advent of His coming, and then we, we with anticipation, wait for the second advent, the, the advent, the second advent of Christ when He will return. Here's the promise. If he fulfilled it, that he you know, came the first time, and he promised that he would come again, he will come again. And still we, with longing and anticipation, wait for his return, and we advance the kingdom, and we proclaim the gospel until he comes. And so these Advent themes of love, hope, joy, and peace, and we want the candles and the kids are talking. Didn't the kids do a good job this morning? That was so really, really great, yeah. They can't hear us clapping for them, but uh, we can clap anyway, so um, they did great. Um, but the idea here is we like these candles and remember of all these things, that Jesus fulfills all these things. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is hope. He's the one we find all of those things. And so today's Advent theme is joy, and, and the title of this sermon is Good News of Great Joy. Barry played that out and talked about that. But we're going to look at that text in a moment. But I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes before we get into the text. But, uh, there's nothing like receiving unexpected good news. Anybody else like that? Unexpected good news. Isn't that a great feeling? Because a lot of times we get the unexpected bad news. Um, but unexpected good news, there's, it has a way of changing your outlook. It has a way of changing your mood. Um, it can be very emotional. And sometimes it's maybe smaller things that mean a lot to you. Sometimes it's big things. Maybe it was a, a job offer that, you know, you maybe have forgotten about until, or a promotion or a raise, a pay raise, or a bonus that you were not expecting. Or you get an unexpected gift from someone. And Athena and I have, have had that before where, you know, you hear the knock on the door and, and, and there's a delivery and you're like, you know, we didn't order anything on Amazon um, and, and we're trying to think about it and we open it and it's a gift unexpectedly and there's a lot of joy that goes in there. And there's, again, there's a huge, there's some big ones that can be financial gifts that we weren't um, going to have a baby, a proposal, you know, you see these, all these sappy videos 
and, and I say that, but I watch them too, and I sit there and, 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 uh, and get emotional over watching these sloppy videos, maybe of a surprise proposal or a surprise baby announcement, or different things that we see, these heartwarming stories are, are, are filled in our Facebook timeline, they're filled with videos of stories of these surprise or unexpected good news. There's a lot of people out there, there's this one ministry, they go out and maybe random acts of kindness, there's other groups, there's other people that do that. And it's just fun to watch them give people these unexpected blessings and just watch the surprise on their face, sometimes tears. Well, one of my favorites, I'm getting ready to show you, particular, if you, even if you see it, I've seen it like five times, I get emotional every time I see it. Um, but obviously, adoption is close to our hearts. Mine and Athena's, and uh, we love adoption. We love the spiritual significance of adoption. Um, but the video you're about to see, they did not, they did not expect it, but it has gone viral. There are multiple millions of views on this. Most of you may have seen it. If you haven't, it's really, really great. But what it is, it's, it's a couple. They have two younger biological little girls, but they fostered a girl for about six years. She, um, have been in a very rough home, and uh, she's a teenager now, and uh, and so they fostered her for six years. Well, what you're about to see is they have a hidden camera, and the, the father, they, she thinks it's a, where, where they have to do regular evaluations of her. You know, they have to sit down and evaluate and say, you know, here's, here's kind of what's going on in your life, and here's what we're seeing that's going on. She thinks it's one of those evaluations. But they're about to drop a pretty cool little un unsuspected good news, and I want to go watch this with them. And 
of great joy. Those are tears of joy. And I, again, the, the whole adoption world to me reminds me of the picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. Um, did you hear him tell her who, what her identity is, who she is? Isn't that beautiful? That this father is speaking, here's who you are, here's who God has created you to be. What you didn't hear as the video goes on, again, it's just a lot of tears. And then he, he says to her, he said, I, I'm so sorry for the things that happened to you in the past, but from here on, we're going to protect you. And so you had a bad background. And I'm thinking, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. That our past in Jesus is gone. And that he calls us into a glorious hope that he has chosen us. And with the spirit of adoption, and He gives us our identity. And Romans 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption as sons and daughters. And by Him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This thing has always been about a relationship. Christianity is about a relationship with God that we have been adopted into His family. This is good news of great joy. So, in that cruelty, I love the look on her face. Isn't that just priceless? And this unsuspected, unexpected surprise is a lot what we can look to on the coming of Jesus and the, the text that we're going to get in. To today, and I'm gonna hopefully, Parker, let's see if we can get it all hooked up there. Is it ready? All right. Oh, 
Thank you, man. You're all over. Parker's doing a good job. Let's go to the text. From the Christmas story that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Interesting, even the humility of how Jesus came in the quietness of Bethlehem to a group of shepherds. This angel suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. That would be a great response, right? Whoa! But the angel reassured them. He said, "Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who." all people. The gospel is for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this time. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And so they just say, here's the sign, go and find him. There, the, the Savior point. It's interesting, and then right after that, we know the story where there's a multitude of angels that begin to say, Glory to God in the highest. They begin a worship service because Jesus is born. They are worshiping with great joy. I mean, they, the, the, their hearts are bursting forth. But can you imagine the angels here? They have had Jesus in heaven. He is a part of the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's been in heaven, and he, by the plan of God, comes and he is uh, becomes a. First of all, fetus of, of, of an unborn baby in Mary. And you can see the angels have been worshiping him. We have the idea in Revelation, they've been worshiping him from the, from the foundations of the earth. But now he comes and he is going to become one of us. And you know, they're waiting nine months. This is the greatest expectation of a birth. I mean, the angels are waiting. They've been worshiping him and now he is born. Boom! They just go, it's like we get to worship him again. Not that they probably didn't still worship him, but he's born, and they show up with great joy, and they fill the sky, and they begin to say, glory to God in the highest. This unexpected news of great joy. Great joy. Now, we're going to look at today this idea of biblical joy versus happiness, because biblical joy is not happiness. We tend to equate happiness with joy, but they are very different ideas. So let's let's look at this. Um, so biblical joy versus happiness. Happiness is temporary, tied with what is going on in my life at the moment, right? That's why sometimes our mood can fluctuate depending on what is happening. Happiness is conditioned by and often depending on what is happening to me. Happiness happening. And usually, happiness is dependent upon my circumstances. That's so different from biblical joy. So what is biblical joy? The Greek word there that is used, this idea of good news of great joy to all people, it's, it's internal delight, calm, it's contentment, it's tied with peace and rest in your soul, it's eternal and it's everlasting. See the difference between happiness and joy? That's the word that's being proclaimed there. Joy is not affected by external happenings. Joy is characterized by peace and stability and contentment despite life's inconsistencies and circumstances. And it's really tied to Philippians 4. Remember when Paul is saying, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Whether I have must or little, I've learned this secret to be content no matter what. That, that is the same 
word that's tied together with joy. I have an internal peace and contentment in my life. That's why you can see people that walk in joy and this contentment. They can be asked to go through some hard circumstances and they're like, and you're like, why, why, why doesn't it seem to be affecting you? And again, not that it doesn't affect us, that we don't have those days or moments. But they tend to just be calm and in reserve and they just say, I'm trusting God that there's an, an internal and eternal and everlasting joy that's in their hearts. I want to walk in that greater. It's the thing that I saw in Guyana, South America, with these people in, the, in this third world country, and they had nothing, and, and they were, you know, putting boards together to kind of make a little home. And, and you know, there was this one was that you know, was a mother and father. This one just stuck out to me so much. There was about four or five kids, and they had this. It was about a, a ten foot square of like just loose boards and whatever they could get to put together for a home and. And the man is walking along the trail because we're handing out some clothing or handing out food and we're, and we're doing some things there. And he is just one of the happiest people that you'd ever meet. And so he's got this bucket of water that he's just gotten from the river. We're wondering what he's going to do. Well, right next to his little house is a little thing that's about the size of a telephone booth and it's got, it's got this bucket with holes that's his chapter. And so he jumps in there, you know, and you can't see him and he's like, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, he's just happy. And on his little house, he writes, like, white spray paint, God's gift. And I'm like, I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of joy. That's biblical joy. That's the joy that's being proclaimed here. The joy that's characterized by knowing who I am in Jesus. Man has a futile search for true joy. Um, I think everyone on planet Earth, you know, and, and, and we've all heard this in some way, you're, you're born with this void in your heart that can only be filled by Jesus. We're, we're created to know Him. We're created to live for Him. We're created on purpose and intentionality by Him, for Him. And people look around. They look for happiness or they look for contentment. They're looking for peace. They're looking for joy and there's this futile attempt to try to find it in other places and ultimately we have to find it in Him so that we can walk in true joy. But number one, it, it, it cannot be found in pleasure. His girlfriend is a man named Lord Byron. Some of you have heard of him. He's a famous romance period poet. He wrote Don Juan. He lived a life of extravagant pleasure in this period of time. And at the end of his life, so he, he withheld no pleasure from himself. And so when we tend to think that, you know, there's a, some sort of life's pleasure is going to bring true joy, he withheld nothing. He, he, was, he was well off, well to do. And at the end of his life, he wrote this word, these words. It says, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. And he withheld no pleasure. And sometimes we're in this pursuit of pleasure to try to bring some sort of joy to my life. Secondly, joy cannot be found in wealth and riches. But how many think that it is? I just had 
and we all have that amount of money. If I could just have this, and then I would do this, this, and this, and, and, and we may not say it, but we kind of internalize it a bit. Some of you guys have heard of Jay Gould, the well-known railroad developer from the 1800s. He was one of the wealthiest men of his time. Filthy rich for his, his time. He would be a, in today's economy, he would be a multi-multi-billionaire. But he was also known to be very hard, very hard. And when dying, he said these words, I suppose I am the most miserable man on the earth. Had all this money, all the riches. And also joy cannot be found in prestige or fame, but yet we chased it. Maybe not to become famous, and maybe that's a dream. You know, all of us have that. We're a little kid, we want to be an actor, a movie star. I've switched from a professional baseball player, football player, basketball player, tennis player. I had them all, you know, and none of them them worked out for me, um, unfortunately. But, you know, you have those dreams of greatness that somehow that prestige of faith. And even in today's world, people can get sucked into wanting to be noticed, wanting to, for people to clamor and see me, please, please, someone see me. To be known. And the thing is, is God's saying, I, I, I know you and find your joy in me. You're created to be known by God and to know Him. And King Solomon was one of those. He had all of these wealth and fame and fortune. And he literally, I mean, read, read the book of Ecclesiastes, you, you see kind of his journal where he really withheld nothing from himself. That's why at the beginning, toward the beginning of the book, he, you know, I, I tried this and I tried this and I tried this. And I mean, his, his parties would consist of like weeks on end. Hundreds and hundreds of people would come and they would have these feastings and, and the pleasures of life and the, he, he would withhold nothing. And then, and then he had a thousand women at his disposal at one time. And he just withheld nothing. And what did he say? It's meaningless. Vanity. Meaningless. Vanity. Like it's like blowing in the wind. It's, it's, it's just, there's nothing satisfying about it. There's nothing satisfying. I'm grabbing and grasping and grabbing and grasping. And this can be a lot of our stories. I and mean, we have Solomon's story in there to remind us what are you grabbing for? What are you grasping for? And Jesus is saying, I'm right here. I want to be your source of joy. I want to be your source of peace, your source of contentment. So the source of true joy is found in one place it's the person of Jesus. That's why the celebration of Christmas is more than just a time of family and gifts. Those are awesome. Those are important. But it is the fulfillment of the greatest promise and rescue mission in eternity. It's a celebration of Jesus coming to be one of us, to live and die for us, to be raised back to life, to go and prepare a place for us. And He becomes the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And then invites us into that relationship with himself. So that's why the angels came and they made that declaration to that band of shepherds in Bethlehem. Do you ever wonder why why did he teach shepherds? Has anybody ever wondered that? Okay, it's just me. These were rabbinic shepherds. History tells us that they were rabbinic shepherds. What does that mean? They raised in that area, they raised the lambs that were to be sacrificed under the Old Testament law. 
so they raised these, these lambs, and you know, when, when, when there was times of sacrifice at the temple, because remember in the Old Testament law, there had to be, uh, you know, for, for uh, when there was sinfulness, something had to die. And so they would make animal sacrifices, which it cost it, it was costly. Because that was a part of your wealth. Ultimately, Jesus comes. And what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so these angels are declaring to these shepherds who raised the lambs for sacrifice. Guess what? The once and for all lambs was born. The Savior. The King has been born. And that's why this rough neck group of the shepherds went over to this stable and they see him. And it makes you wonder if they go, I guess we're not going to have a child But his, here's the Lamb of God. Here's the Lamb of God who's going to take away. We won't need the animal sacrifices anymore. He's going to raise up. He's going to become the Lamb of God as John the Baptist said. And he would die for our sins on the cross. And the angel says, Don't be afraid. And I'll bring you good news. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Just this, this suddenly, this unexpected good news that's in the gospel is. Has come into the world. This is, the, you know, this is God making His presentation. Jesus is born. Says, "Here's the gospel in human form. It's Jesus. Today in Bethlehem, the Savior, the Messiah, has been born. So this is this is not just. I mean, it's good news. This is the gospel. It's the best of news for everyone. It's the good news of great joy. The Savior is born. It's not temporary happiness based on circumstances." This is not just, here's a, here's a monetary gift for all of humanity. Everyone gets a hundred bucks. Yay. Let's go to the mall. Here's the eternal promise, the saving of your soul's eternity, heaven, all the promises in Christ has come. Good news for all people. And I love that it says, it's good news of great joy for all people. That's why when, it, when, when, it, when Gary quoted this earlier, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his son. It's for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. He died for the sins of the world. And then he said, here's the sign, you know, born in a stable, lying in the manger, just in case you get concerned, and you know, go alongside, and there might be another baby, but... Here's the fulfilled the sign. He's there. Go and find him. And they went and saw the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had come. That he's the Savior, the only Savior. He's the only way to heaven. That's why he said, Here, here's, the, here's the fulfillment of the promise. And so the angels were saying, Here's the good news for all the earth. Here's the way to salvation. It is Christ the Lord. It is the Messiah has been born. And so he, they, this, this angel of the Lord is making this exclusive statement. I've come from God. Here's the way of salvation. There are no other roads to heaven. There are no other ways. This is the Savior from Jesus in the He's the only way to get from the Lord. So Jesus is the true source of joy. Believing in His in our lives to Him is where we find joy. That's why in Luke 15, I love Jesus saying, There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99. Remember when he's given the parable of the, of the lost sheep? And he said there's, there's, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. And so it touches the heart of God when someone comes to saving knowledge. 
And that's why he's saying it's failed. So I want to look at some of the, the blessings of receiving and walking in his joy from the scripture. Some awesome promises um, that, that, uh, that, that were seen. The blessings of receiving and walking in his joy. First Peter 8 9 says, You love him even though you have never seen him. And so Peter's describing his faith. He says, You love him and you've never seen him. And I think that that's why when Peter's writing this letter, you know, he had gotten to be with Jesus. He's one of Jesus' closest disciples. And, and he's, he's touched in his heart as he's writing this letter because Jesus has already ascended. He's in heaven. And he's writing something. He said, you love him and you haven't seen him. You're, you believe our report. You're believing our news. And, 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 and you love him even though you haven't seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Some versions say, Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Anybody remember that song? Joy unspeakable. Remember that? I'll sing it if you want. But he says, The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I love that passage. You don't see him, you love him, you're trusting him. This is our story, too. We haven't seen him. But we love him, we trust him, we believe what's being said about him, we believe the word of God. And so, because of salvation, it is stirring our hearts. It's inexpressible joy. In other words, I, it, it knows no words that can describe the joy that I have knowing Jesus as my Savior. Psalm 16, David writes, In your presence is fullness of joy, right? And what is David saying? There's nothing like knowing God, being known by God, experiencing His presence. And that can be when we work together. That can be in the quiet time where you're reading the Word of God, prayer, your, 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 your personal prayer time with Him, spending time. That's when His presence comes and it touches us in deep ways. And sometimes it can uh, you know, manifest where it touches us emotionally. It might bring us tears. It might bring us you know, this inexpressible joy. But He says, in your presence, there's only to joy. There's nothing like the presence of God. And that's why... Daily, we need to walk with Him and be with Him and talk to Him. And then here's one of the most beautiful passages because it affects all the Psalm 51 12. David was praying. Remember, he had committed a horrific sin. Sins, plural. He had had an affair with Bathsheba. Her husband is one of his mighty men, one of his closest military people. This guy is a warrior, Uriah. So he brings Uriah home and he, you know, is trying to cover his sin because he, you know, that she was pregnant now and he's trying to cover up his sin and, and then ultimately, you know, Uriah has honor and so David then writes a letter to Joab, the commander, and he says, take, take, uh, you know, take the men into the heat of the battle and when it, at, its, at its hottest point, everybody withdraw from Uriah. And so, he has one of his mighty men killed. So, I mean, he's the, the blood of Uriah is, is, is on his hands. And we know the story where the prophet comes and confronts him in this sin. And, and part of Psalm, Psalm 51 is his response. And he's crying out to God. He doesn't try to justify his sin. He doesn't try to excuse his sin. And God, let me tell you, there is, there is, there is beauty and, and true joy and repentance. 
this true joy in, in receiving God's discipline because he refreshes, he's treating us like sons and daughters. And don't, don't, don't kick back against his, his, his loving correction. In other words, he's, he's saying, my, my love for you is I want you to become who I've created you to be. And so when you blow it, come to me. And that's what David did. David didn't make any excuses. He didn't say, well, everybody else is bad too. You know, everybody sins. And, well, look at those hypocrites over there. Look at what they did. He just says, God was stored to me. I love you. I need you. Cleanse my heart. I'm a sinner. I understand that I blew it, and I sin, and I'm coming clean with you. And then he says this, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And so he's, he's linking together, again, this is not about like just temporary happiness. He's saying, when I understand your forgiveness, God, when I understand your cleansing, the cleansing of my heart, when you remove my sin, there is joy in my salvation. It's a deep work that you're doing, and I'm so happy that you love me enough to correct me, and you love me enough to forgive me. The joy of your salvation. And then First John 3, 1, 3 and 4, says, we proclaim to you, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard that you might have fellowship with us. And what is John here saying? He's, again, he's writing a letter. And all these letters are to these new Christians that are being formed. You know, you have um, Paul's letters, and you have uh, Peter's letters, and you have John's letters, and it's, and it's all of these people that, you know, Christ has ascended, and, and the church is being um, in that region. It's, it's, it's beginning, you know, churches are talking about groups are meeting, and, and, so, and so the church of Jesus is, is raising up, and people are coming to saving knowledge, and so they're writing these letters to say, you know, some of it's how to love each other and how to, how to do church, and John is encouraging them, and he's saying, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen, because John again was right there with Jesus, and he said, so we're proclaiming to you, we saw, we were with him, and we heard so that you might have fellowship with us. What is he saying? When we do this together, we have great joy. Listen to this. And he says, in our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. He's talking about doing life together. Guys, when we become believers and followers of Jesus, the idea is that we don't do life separate from each other. We don't just become lone ranger Christians that just kind of, well, I don't need church to be a Christian. And I think biblically you actually do. I'm not saying that you don't have a relationship with the Lord, but you need each other. We were created to need each other. This is what the body of Christ is together. It's not apart. And that's what he's saying is, is, is that we share in this joy of salvation together. That's why we encourage each other and we lift each other up and we forgive each other and we hurt each other and we make allowance for each other. And all of that goes with that is that we're sharing in the joy of salvation. We're sharing the joy of the church together. We're created to, to do it together. Fully share our joy. And here's Jeremiah. And these are just, again, there's more passages of joy. I just grabbed a few. Jeremiah. You're advancing my slides, aren't you? I forgot. Parker is all over. I can advance my slides and I'm not doing it. Parker is on it. I had to start changing from the name. Is that the Lord? No, it's Parker. Being used of the Lord. Thank you, Parker. Here's Jeremiah. Okay, you know, always when you, when you just see. You know, when you just see a passage, your words were my joy and my hope's delight. You know, we can say, oh, that's cool. Let's write that on the bridge and um, whatever. Context is so important. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. 
at the time when Jeremiah is writing, it is with great angst and, and, and pain and writing because at the time the children of Israel are in their one of the greatest times in their history and the greatest time of rebellion. Right? They, they have rejected God. I don't want to listen to God. I don't want to do anything to God. And that's why he's called the weeping prophet. Now, you know, Jeremiah at the beginning, you remember when God calls him, he says, I'm, I'm too young. And the Lord says, don't say that you're too young. Don't make that excuse. But Jer- later on, Jeremiah, he said this, and this King James says, and he, he looks at the Lord one time because he's got so much pain in heart. He said, you bewitched me. In other words, you tricked me. He, he said, hey, I'm going to make you a mouthpiece and a voice to the people. And guess what their response to Jeremiah was? Beat him up, throw him in a pit, and don't listen to him. Pastor Jeremiah, here's, here's your people, here's your, here's, here's your plot. Now go, go tell them these words, and God would give them these. You know, and it was, it was this grieving saying, come back. Come back to God. He has a plan for you. Don't rebel. He has a plan for you. And if you keep rebelling, here's the consequences. God loves you. God loves you. I know over and over, this is Jeremiah. You read the book of Jeremiah. He's pleased to back to God. And at some point, God says, okay, they're not going to come back to me in this way. They're going to go into captivity. And that, that, that's, they are bent on rebellion, so I'm going to allow Babylon to take them over. And then he's got to give those, that to the people. Okay, guys, guess what? Here, yeah, here's my message this morning. You're going to be held captive. And don't fight it. Have a good day. Um, they, didn't, they didn't receive that. I mean, one time, they, again, they put him in prison. They put him in a pit. I mean, he, he is not a happy guy. And that's why he called him a weeping prophet because he, he's grieving for the people of Israel. Here's what God's saying. You can almost say, God, you'll have to tell him again. But then he really did love the people. And he was saying, guys, I mean, that, that was, again, if you have trouble reading the book of Jeremiah, it's good to have context to see this stuff. He grieved for the people. He loved the people. And he wanted, and, and, and his heart was, if you could see how much God loved you. If you could see, if you could understand how God feels about you. And you would come from that place of rebellion and being your own God and doing your own thing and please come back to God, come back to God. And over and over again, he's making this plea, he's weeping for them. So that gives you good context and that he's praying and he's saying, he's speaking to God, your words were my joy and my heart's God. God, your words. That's so what we could say the word of God is my joy and my delight. Even Guys, even the correction, like I said before, even the correcting words of God, where He loves you enough to not let you get away with it. It's to get away with sin, to get away with something is not a gift. I, and I've told this story before, but when I was a kid, it's like I couldn't get away. My mom, I, man, you know, and at the time, it was just like, just a bummer. I was a praying mom. It just discerned everything that I was doing. He would just get those little things like something's not right. And I'm like, man, something can get away with anything. I remember getting busted. My friends would get away with all kinds of things. And I'm like, how does this happen? And I remember one night I was a junior in high school and I was out with some friends doing some things I should have been doing. And so I got home too late. And I was ready for, you know, I was like, they're gonna, they're gonna give me, they're gonna give me a tongue lashing, and I'm gonna, 
you know, just kind of endure that. And uh, it was one of the calmest times I've ever seen my mom. Okay. Calm and my mom usually don't go together. And, um, the Lord really helped her. She was raised in a very, really, really rough, alcoholic, abusive family, uh, horrible, cruel, um, unimaginable things. So my mom dealt with anger for many years, but God actually really delivered her from that. And, uh, but uh, she wrestled with it every now and again. She's sitting on the couch, and I come in, and, um, and she just stands up. And I'm like, I'm waiting for it. Here it comes. And she said, just want you to know, I love you and I've been praying for you. And she just goes to bed. It's just like deep conviction. Just me. I, mean, I, I could almost like give me the tongue last year at this point. You know, just yell and scream at me and I can go to my room and just kind of endure that. But she just, and I laid in my bed for a while just staring at the ceiling and going, man. You know, it wasn't until later that I really truly appreciated it. And now, I so appreciate it. That's why Jeremiah said your words can bring me joy. And now I can look back and say, God, thank you. Thank you. Your discipline, your correction is actually great joy because you love me enough. And when we come clean, and in this time in history, when Jeremiah said your words are, are, are joy and delight in my heart. And then Paul, his prayer, this apostolic prayer for Paul that he's writing to the Romans, ultimately to us, he's just made the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. He is the God of hope. Jesus is the source of hope and joy. If you're looking for it in any other thing, you'll never find it. It will be a futile attempt to grasp that something. Jesus wants to be your source of joy. So He's Jesus joy. The joy of His presence, the joy of His salvation. The joy of doing the journey with other people, the joy of his correction, the joy of having his word in your heart. But don't let it stop there because here's the thing about being his children and the good news of great joy to all people, then we get to spread that joy to others. That's why we exist. That's why the church exists, is to be a light in the Jesus for you. He said he was the light of the world, but then he said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. And that's why the church calls to become a place of refuge that people find who God is. The refuge and strength of who God is. Salvation that's found in Jesus. And so we receive his joy. And a lot of us, we struggle with that. And every day we need to receive his joy new and again. Receiving his peace, receiving his hope, receiving that eternal joy that's not just found in my circumstances. And then we are proclaimers of the joy of salvation, the joy of who he is. And so this Christmas season, receive his joy, but then let's begin to give that joy away. We can Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are our joy. That as the angel made the proclamation, it was, it was good news of great joy to all people. Lord, that we receive your joy, we receive your presence today, we receive your love, your grace. You're, you're here today and you've maybe struggled with that. Maybe the idea of Christianity and church, just again, maybe it, it's more, more negative things are associated with that than, than positive things. I, my prayer for you today is that you would see Jesus in a new way. He came because He loved you. 
He came to rescue us from our sin. He came to give us eternal life. He came to give us a hope and promise that are found in His presence. Living life for Him, surrender to Him. If you've never done that, I encourage you today in the quietest of your own hearts to choose it and you. Just like David said, forgive me, cleanse my heart. I know I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. And we all have to come to that place. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you're here today and it's just been a long time. And you've not really been walking with the Lord. And maybe you've had six experiences of with, with the Lord before, but today in a fresh way, you just don't know oh, I want to come back today. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to walk in His presence and walk in the joy of the good news of salvation. Again, if that is for you, just in the honesty and the quietness of the known heart, you can say that to heaven who hears you. And let me remind you of what Jesus said. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and turns their heart to him. There's so much joy. In other words, there's rejoicing in heaven and those same angels that made those proclamations that good news of great joy has been born, that Jesus has been born, those same angels rejoice in joy when we return to them. Lord, thank you for your promise. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your hope and the joy we find in you. Bless your people today. Bless this day. Bless all we can have in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.